Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Professional Book Girl. My name is Kayla, and I read a ton of books so that I can recommend the best to you, and that is what we are going to be doing today. Speaking of books that I have been making people read, we have a book club, our first book club. It just launched this month, and it is almost time for the book club episode. It will be airing on February 1st, and our book club pick is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. I have read it. I shared my star rating. I gave it three stars, and that is all I will say. I have so many thoughts on this book. I actually kept notes while I was reading it, which is something like I'm not an annotator. I don't really love doing that because I feel like it sometimes makes me, it like pulls me out of the reading experience a bit. But for something like this, I was just the thoughts wouldn't stop coming to me. So I was like, I need to like get these down, um, not on pen and paper in my notes app, obviously. So I haven't recorded that episode yet, but I'm very excited too, because I just need to talk about it. I have so many thoughts. I really want to like give myself kudos for picking, a, I think it's a great book club uh, book because there is just so much to discuss. And you can join the discussion, not just by listening, but you can get your thoughts in the episode, either like record a voice memo or take a video or just type out your thoughts in an email. Send any of that over to professionalbookgirlpod at gmail.com. And I will include it in the episode full disclosure, no one has done it yet. And if no one does, you're just going to get me. So I might sound like an idiot in all of these episodes, like the last few weeks promoting that you can do that. And then the episode will end up just being me. I think I'm the only one overthinking it. So I'm going to try to stop thinking about it. But if you want to be a part of the episode, that is how you can be. A few more quick little announcements. Please make sure you're following, subscribed, whatever you have to do on whatever podcast platform you're listening on, please leave me a review. It's a free way to support this show. Follow me on Instagram at Karen Watt. Follow the show at Professional Book Girl. And if you want to buy any of the books that I talk about on this episode, you can do so at bookshop.org slash shop slash professional book girl. Now that we got all of that out of the way, I need to find like a better segue because I feel like I'm like, hello, welcome to Professional Book Girl. And then it's like announcements. It's it's a lot. It's chaotic, but we'll we'll figure that out as we get there. It's time to talk about what I'm obsessed with this week. And this is something I've kind of been obsessed with for the last few weeks. And that has been movies, specifically new movies. And some people probably don't think this is as crazy as it is for me. I'm not a huge movie girl. Like I, I'm very strict with what I will watch because I feel like that takes time away from reading. So I've already given you my spiel of how I have like a few hours of Bravo, like either one or two, um, a few nights a week. And then that's pretty much really it for what I'm like specifically watching each day. But I have gone to the movie theater so much in the last few weeks. I went four times over Christmas. Um, and then I watched a movie at home that everyone was talking about over Christmas and I had been wanting to watch. So I'm just going to like give you guys my little, um, we're getting five movie reviews right now of recent movies that I have uh, gone to the theater and paid money to see. Actually, I'm going to include one more because on Thanksgiving, I think I talked about this in an episode closer to Thanksgiving, but my family kind of like Thanksgiving dinner is just my immediate family. Um, and then we, me and my siblings, or really just me and my sister, because my brother goes over to his fiance's family, me and my sister will go to the movies. And this year, two of my younger cousins went with us. And the only movie that like everyone could agree on was the new Trolls movie. And I actually really enjoyed it. I think the Trolls movies are really cute. This was the whole one with like NSYNC reuniting, but I thought it was really funny. I was like laughing out loud. And that was the movie that kind of kicked off my big hurrah of going to the movies so frequently. 
So the next movie I saw is kind of along that same vein. I probably wouldn't have gone to see this if I wasn't going with my cousins, but I went to see Wonka, which maybe a lot of you listening have seen that. I just like maybe an unpopular opinion. Timothy just doesn't really do it for me. So I was never going to go see that for him. And I also never really loved Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. One of my best friends growing up, we would watch that movie a lot in her house. And it always just like deeply stressed me out. And now that I know what anxiety is, looking back, I can say that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory made me really anxious. I was just not into it. Then there was the Johnny Depp remake, which I was also not into. I remember my sister had a birthday party where like the whole birthday party was to go see that movie. And I was just like mad that she chose that movie. Like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is not for me, but I actually really enjoyed Wonka. I It was very like weird and whimsical and magical. And I really liked that. The music, like, look, I didn't download the soundtrack. I won't be listening to it, but I just thought it was really sweet and endearing and it actually made me like Timothy in a way that like I've never cared about him, but I was like, oh, like this was really cute. I really enjoyed it. And it was funny when we went, it was me, my sister, my two cousins who are 14 and 17, and then my 17-year-old cousin brought a friend and me and my 14-year-old cousin, Josie, we were like, everyone was getting popcorn, but me and Josie were like, we're going to get chocolate. So like we both got a bunch of crunch and we sat down and we were both like, oh, I don't think we'd be able to like eat this whole box though, because it's like, it's a lot of chocolate. Obviously we both finished our boxes. And then after the movie, the other girls were like, oh, I really want chocolate now. And me and Josie were like, yeah, you idiots. We got chocolate because we knew this movie about chocolate was going to make us crave chocolate. So it really enhanced the movie going experience, having a full box of chocolate, which I obviously ate the whole box too. It was like pretending I was like eating the, um, like magical types of Wonka chocolates. It was really cute. The next movie I already have mentioned on this podcast, it is my favorite movie I have seen recently. It is The Iron Claw. This is the new Zac Efron wrestling movie. I told you guys that when I was younger, my siblings and I used to watch WWE. This is wrestling in the 80s. So I, right away when I saw the trailer months ago, I was intrigued because Zac Efron, which like my history with Zac, I've been thinking about this a bit recently um, because of this movie. I would never describe him as my celebrity crush, but he is an actor. Like I have a list of celebrities. I'm always just like interested in what's going on with them. And he's on that list, I think, because we grew up with him between High School Musical and then Hairspray was like one of my biggest, biggest obsessions. We went to see it for my 14th birthday. It was either Mama Mia was 13 and Hairspray was 14, I think. And it became like my whole life. I was so obsessed with Hairspray. Like I think Zach in Hairspray is like peak quality Zach Efron. We were also obsessed with like 17 again. Like we just really like grew up with him, you know? So whenever I see he's in something, I kind of am just like, oh, I want to see that. And his performance in this movie was so, so good. Like he deserves an award or something. I hope he is nominated for something or just gets the recognition because Oh my God, this movie is so heartbreaking and I don't want to spoil it. Like I really recommend going to see this movie, but do not Google a single thing about the family before you go because you just need to like go in not knowing anything. And then afterwards you need to do a research deep dive because it is insane. Like my sister and I went to a 1030 movie. We got home close to 1 a.m. And then we both were just like sending each other articles. And we were in the same room because I saw it when I was at my mom's and we share a room there. So our, our beds are like three feet apart. And we're like sending each other articles, like TikToks about this family. Like it is so insane, but the acting was so good there. I have said it is deeply sad. So go when you're in like a good mental health space, but it's also really funny like I was 
laughing out loud at some bits. Um, it was just like, it was so good. And you don't need to care about wrestling to like this. It's really just a wild, 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 true story about the Von Erich family. I could not recommend it enough. Also, like Zach, Jeremy Allen White looks so good. There's a new guy. I forgot his name in real life, but he plays the brother David, who he right away, like my sister right away, like had a crush on him. And we were like, oh, like new guy to add to the roster. And then it was funny when we left this movie, like I was not okay. I, the end scene broke me. I was crying so, so much. And I was like, I have to drive home. Like I need to get it together. And I could tell my sister is like so stoic with emotions, but I could tell she was really upset. And we got in the car and we were both just so sad. But then Is It Over Now by Taylor Swift came on the radio. So obviously we like had to sing along to it, but like I was basically crying still. So we're like singing. It was like, I could have just pictured that moment in like a TV show or a movie or something. We're trying to like get the vibe back up and like sing and dance to Taylor Swift in the car, but we were so deeply sad. And it was just like such a funny moment. Like we both started just hysterical laughing. We're like, what are we doing? Like we're sad. Why are we trying to like force this fun boppy Taylor Swift moment? But it was so good. Go see the Iron Claw. The next one I saw is a really funny one. You will not cry with this one. It is anyone but you. And I never would have seen this movie if my cousin Kristen did not invite me to see it with her. So shout out to Kristen. I knew I spent New Year's Eve with my cousin Kristen, who she's a senior in high school. So she's like so cool, you know. And I knew she was going to see it the next day with her friends. So a few days after New Year's, she texted me and she was like, Hey, are you still? Um, on Long Island. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, do you want to go see anyone but you? So in my head, I was like, oh, I guess like her plans fell through and she still wants to see it. So she's like reaching out through like the roster of people she could go see it with. So I go and I pick her up and she gets in the car and I was like, oh, like, did you not go? And she was like, no, I went. She was so obsessed with it. She wanted to see it again. And it was cute. She was like, I knew she was like, I wanted to see you before you went back to the city. And so I was like, oh, I feel like Kayla would like this. So we went and I loved it so much. And I honestly, I would not have seen this if it wasn't for my sister. I don't for my sister, for my cousin who I'm very, she is like another little sister to me. Um, I'm not like, a huge, like I'm not a huge movie watcher, first of all. I don't know if I said this in the beginning. If I did, I'm just saying it again because I don't feel like editing it out. But I I don't love to watch movies also because it's just like the attention span. And when I'm watching them in my house, it takes, I just like get distracted by so many things. Like even when I'm watching a show, I'm on my phone doing things. I'm basically just like listening half of the time. And I know I'll post a lot if I'm like watching a movie while I'm like working or like cleaning and stuff. And like, movies when I have on in the background during the day, I don't count that as watching a movie. Like I very, very rarely will sit in my apartment and just watch a full movie on TV, you know? So, um, I, I don't know. Why did I start talking about that? But so my favorite way to watch movies is going to the movie theater. I love the whole experience of it. And like, I don't really go though for anything because going to the movies, especially in New York city where I live is so expensive. Like anyone but you was actually $11. And when my cousin told me that I was like, Oh my God, that is so, so cheap. Like I've like accidentally spent $40 in movie tickets before. Cause I just didn't know I was buying IMAX and it was actually funny. Me and my friend Joe, like see all of the Marvel movies together. Cause we both always went with like, he would go with his brother and his dad. And I always went with my brother and my dad. And then we were both in college in New York city. And like, we, and we were friends since like middle school and we like couldn't go with our families. So now we see every Marvel movie together and it was for the Eternals and I was buying the tickets and I was like, why are these like $37? And then we sit down and like our seats are vibrating. You're like in the movie. It was like really honestly a little bit too much. Um, 
But so if I'm going to like spend the money to buy a movie ticket, I'm like picky about it, you know? Like also these days, like I don't have a full-time job. So like I really can't just be out here like buying movie tickets willy-nilly. Like I have been (laughs) for the last month or so. But so I would not have gone to see this movie basically. And I'm also like not super, I think because rom-coms haven't been good for so long. Like we grew up with like the golden age of rom-coms and they just have not been good. Like we've been getting these like cheesy Netflix ones, but like it's not the same. Anyone but you is like the rom-com movies that I was obsessed with in like middle school and high school. I feel like this would be a sleepover movie, which is like a high t- like tier of a movie going as a former teenage girl. Like I could just imagine this being one where like, oh, put this on at me. My friends would know all the words and like quote everything. It is so much fun. If you don't know what I'm talking about, this is the new Sydney Sweeney and Glenn Powell movie. The whole theater was cracking up. It was a full theater the day that I went. After the movie, everyone was clapping, which like just does not happen. It was so good. It was such a fun ride, like perfect escapism. And the song on written by Natasha Bedingfield is like a very important part of the movie. And it was really cute when we got in the car after we were like, we put it on and we were like singing it and like blasting it and like scream singing the lyrics. And I said to my cousin who, like I said, is a senior in high school, I was like, oh, this was my first ringtone in seventh grade when I got my first phone. That was the first ringtone that I bought. And she just like couldn't imagine buying songs as your ringtone, you know? And I was like, yeah, now it's so, I was like, we were obsessed with the song in middle school. And now if I'm like out at a bar or something and the song comes on, everyone gets so excited and goes crazy. And she's going away to college in the, in this year. And I was like, now when you go up, she was saying they listen to her and her friends now listen to this song every single morning as like she's driving them all to school and I was like now when you go out you're gonna think of like you and your friends singing the song in this movie and it was like kind of like a very cute moment etc you know I have you know I always have to like make everything sentimental you know but I loved that movie next movie is the boys in the boat which should not come as a shock to anyone that I was obsessed with this I wanted to see this from like the second I first saw the trailer this is a true story of the rowing team in the 1934 I think Olympics which is the ones those were the Olympic games that took place in Berlin when Hitler was like first coming up into power I find those Olympics very very fascinating I love when they pop up in historical fiction this book uh, this movie reminded me of the book Fast Girls by Elise Hopper which I highly recommend it's about women on the track team who go to this Olympics and it was like very similar vibes to this whole thing but we follow the main guy Callum Turner who I have been picturing as like the main guy in historical fiction books for a while now I would say like two years and I always forget his name in real life and now like because of his performance in this movie and because he's been seen out and about with Dua Lipa I know his name finally so congrats to him I remember his name his name is Callum Turner like all the guys in this movie are very good looking it was like a very exciting viewing experience it was one of the things where it's like I'm like going for the the plot air quotes plot but it's like really for the guys also related but unrelated there's a show coming out oh my god it's like the airman or something let me look it up the show is coming on apple tv um next week and it's called masters of the air and it's about airmen and world war ii and this guy callum turner is in that movie so um highly recommend for all of us historical fiction girlies but this like the the whole premise is that it's like the great depression and the main guy that we're following callum turner his character is like living in a Hooverville and he needs money and so he could stay in like his engineering classes at the college and he like joins the rowing team before he like it's a big deal to actually get on the team and he gets on the team and joins it and he uh, so just so he could like have food and like they give you a place to live and they give you money if you're on the team 
So that's the only reason why he like signed up. And then the, you watch them go on to become like an Olympic team. And it was like so good and so heartwarming. But like, I was stressed. Like watching them row, I was like, oh my God, I was getting so anxious. And I realized that like from the trailer, you know, that they go to the Olympics, but I realized during the Olympic match that I didn't know if they won or not. So and I, I won't say what happens, but I was like freaking out. I was so stressed. And it was really, it was funny. I went, so I've been wanting to go see this. But then my aunt, who was probably listening, shout out to my aunt Sue, she was like, you have to read the book first. So I was like, okay, like putting it off a bit, but like I just haven't, it's a nonfiction book and like, you know how I am with those books. So I also kind of decided I wanted that to be like one of my historical nonfiction audiobooks. So I was going to wait until I could like get to that. But then I realized it was like leaving theaters in like any theaters by me in New York City. So I was like, I have to go see this. So I went last weekend and I went on a little solo movie date, which I really love doing. And the theater was packed. It was sold out. And the guy next to me, he was like a dad and he had two really young kids. And I was kind of like, why are they interested in this movie? But it was cute afterwards. They were like, that was such a great movie. Like talking like movie critics. I was like, they definitely did not understand 99% of this movie. But during the races, they would be like cheering the team on. And it was really sweet. And it was really fun because I was obviously feeling that too. So it was a really like great viewing experience. And I will, I've heard like, since I posted that I saw this movie, so many of you have said, that the book is so great. So I will be doing that as my next nonfiction historical audio book. I'm sure I will let you guys know what I think about it. And the final movie I'm talking about is Saltbird. And I was just never going to watch this movie because I don't really watch movies, you know, but I was just seeing it everywhere. And I was like, let me just give it a shot also, because I think I officially have a crush on Jacob Elordi. So I was like, whatever, this could be like a fun experience. So I watched this one at home, which was a big deal. And I didn't go on my phone the entire time, which is also a big deal. I liked this movie. Like, I don't know what that says about me. And I knew going into it that it was going to be like disturbing and like weird. And like, I don't think it's creepy, but it kind of is almost like satire, some parts of it. Um, and I knew the bathtub scene and the grave scene, but I will say the most disturbing scene, I was not getting any play on the internet. And I I won't spoil it. I will just say for people who have seen Saltburn, the quote unquote vampire scene that made me sick. I don't know why people are freaking out about that one online. Like the bathtub in the grave also really freaking disturbing and we should be talking about, but that vampire scene deserves to be up there with them too. But I thought it was actually really clever. The way that it ended and everything that you find out. And I was laughing out loud watching it. Like I thought it was really funny. It was like visually, I mean, not just the Jacob Elordi of the visuals, but the like the location like Saltburn itself and like the way it was shot was like really really beautiful and I love the like 2006 of it all like it felt like very much like a period piece of just kind of freaky of like a period of time that I lived in but I actually liked it and I don't know what that says about me but I feel like if I didn't if I hadn't seen people freaking out about it on the internet for like basically a month at this point beforehand, maybe I would have been like way too like, what the fuck is this? But knowing that like things were going to happen that were going to make me uncomfortable was like a little bit of a different viewing experience, you know? So those were all of the movies. I probably will not be watching any more movies because I just decided that this weekend I'm starting my Gossip Girl rewatch. I've mentioned this before. Gossip Girl changed my life. It came out when I was 13 and I only ever watched it when it originally aired. I never rewatched it because I was always nervous that I wouldn't love it in the same way that I did back then. But as you guys know, as I approach 30, I'm revisiting all the things that I loved when I was 13. So I am excited to finally revisit that. I'm sure you guys will be hearing me talk about it here and on my Instagram, kredwhat. And 
with all of that aside, I guess it's time to talk about what I'm really obsessed with, and that is books. The theme of this episode is recent thrillers. Cue thriller. I don't, allegedly, I don't want to get copyright claimed for that horrible singing, but I, thrillers are one of my big three genres. My big three are thriller, historical fiction, and romance, and thrillers are what got me back into reading um i talked about this last week when i was talking about how much i love private when i was younger it's no shock like seeing the way that the private series ends up going that i would grow up to become obsessed with thrillers when i first got back into reading after college and when i was like commuting to my full-time job two hours each way at the time not fun i would like I was really powering through thrillers. I think I started becoming a much faster reader from reading so many thrillers because I just couldn't wait to like get back in them. And when I started, I've had my bookstagram carried what for over five years now, which is really, really crazy. And I feel like if you've kind of been along that journey and like pay attention to my reading habits, which is kind of crazy to me that people like would even do that. I understand why, because I I do it with books grammars that I follow. It's just hard to like kind of place myself in that contextually because to me, I'm just like talking shit and posting books, you know, but um, I go through a lot of ebbs and flows with every genre. But, like, I feel like I didn't read a lot of historical fiction in the end of 2023. So I'm trying to switch that around because I miss it. But I think it's important to take breaks from reading so many of the same genre back to back and I feel that specifically with thrillers because it's not like you like you get burnt out on thrillers in a different way like when it comes to historical fiction I'm kind of just like or romance or anything else I'd get to a point where I'm like okay like I just want something different with thrillers though I feel like you get to a point when you're reading too many in a row like you start to figure things out and I've told this antidote before I'm just going to repeat it because it is the best example of this like there was this one book that I read and I won't say either title where there was this crazy twist I had never read before and I never would have saw coming and it was so unique I was like oh my god like mind blown freaking out insane right and then like a year later another thriller did the same thing and I saw it coming so much further because I already like had seen it done before you know so I already knew that twist so I think when you read a lot of thrillers you start figuring things out and I don't like that like I don't want to figure out like I always will say like I, I, some things are just so obvious when you read a lot of thrillers that you do, but like, I love to be shocked and surprised. And so that's why I kind of will take breaks between thrillers. I guess I try to do like at least one or two a month, but in this month in January of this year, I have been reading more thrillers. I kind of, we have so many great ones coming out right now and so many like in the next few months, which is really exciting. And I'm like really excited about thrillers again right now in a way that I haven't been in a while. So um, these are three thrillers, three of the thrillers I have read more um, this month that I really, really enjoyed that are, they're very different, shocked me in different ways. And they're three that you're probably seeing posted about everywhere because they are kind of very of the moment. They're all recent releases. And those are the ones I will be talking about today. I'm talking about them in the order that I read them. And the first one is Only If You're Lucky by Stacey Willingham. So I am a big, big fan of Stacey Willingham's books. This is her third thriller, her debut. Only the I I only the, I want to say only the dark places, but I don't think that's correct. Um, I oh, a flicker in the dark is her debut. That uh, that's me like mashing up. Only if you're lucky and a flicker in the dark. 
her debut of Flicker in the Dark, I loved, loved that book. The premise is that the main girl's dad was a notorious serial killer when she was growing up. And now there's like a copycat murder on the loose. And I thought it was like so cool, so interesting, so unique, et cetera. All the things like the fucked up dark things that I find fascinating. Her last one that came out last year, which I, I really don't remember the name of. I also really loved that one. I would say that this one, only if you're lucky, is my second favorite with a flicker in the dark being my favorite. Um, but I'm pretty sure I gave all of them four stars. Like I just am really a huge fan of her writing. So this is a, I would say this is a campus thriller because it takes place on a campus, but it also takes place in the Outer Banks in North Carolina, which I really loved. I have not watched the show. I probably never will, but I went to the Outer Banks for the first time um, last summer and my sister and I went on like a family vacation with my aunt and uncle and my cousin, Kristen, who I, my family members at this point are just like guest stars on the show. They don't know because I talk about them so much, but, um, it was just like a really fun trip and it was my first time there and I really enjoyed it. It's so beautiful there. Um, I would love to go back one day. So it was cool to like, our main girl, Margot, is from a very wealthy family and she grew up on like a mansion on the beach in the Outer Banks. So it was just fun to read about that and be able to like, like place it in my mind of like, oh yeah, like I've, I've been there, you know? Um, but anyway, our main girl is Margot. Also, um, it is funny to have read this so soon after rereading Private and talking about Private because in many ways, this is kind of like a grown up version of Private and which... Private also, I guess, is a campus thriller. Um, and yeah, you'll see why as I continue to talk about this. So her main girl is Margot, and she is very, very wealthy. Her dad is like a finance guy who made it big. And then they, I guess they, I don't know. It's kind of like, I just assume that he made it big like in New York in finance. And then they bought like this beachside mansion. And that is where she grew up. She's an only child. She's kind of like really quiet and introverted. She reminded me of myself in the sense of like, she's scared of getting in trouble. She never wants to toe that line. She always is kind of like veering her and her best friend kind of more into safety. And she has one friend who she is extremely close with. And I obviously forgot her name, but they are absolute best friends. Like from when they were younger, they do absolutely everything together. They are neighbors. The friend's dad is kind of just like a trust fund kid who also was a musician. And they're a very like loving, kind of artsy, warm family. And Margot's family is the opposite. It's very cold and like very Stepford wives. Everything has to be perfect. So Margot talks a lot about like having dinners at the friend's house in her childhood and like wishing that could be part of her family and just um, wanting to be a part of that life. But we meet Margot as she, I think she's like a freshman in college. Yeah, she's a freshman. And we learn though right away that she's extremely depressed and she's not doing well because that best friend died before they could go away to college together. So at so as Margot's like at school, she only really hangs out with her roommate and she thinks the roommate is annoying, but she has like absolutely no one. And she like, she was very introverted and her friend was the outgoing one and they were supposed to be there together. Now they're not. So she like, doesn't really, she's like kind of lost, you know? So she's just going on with her roommate, but she like, doesn't really want to be. And she is infatuated with this like click of cool girls on campus, specifically the ringleader, Lucy. She's like very beautiful, seems very cool. Like she says that on like 
they live in the same dorm building and on I, or they live on the same floor, I guess. And at like the RA's first meeting when the RA left, like Lucy pulled out like a six pack and was like, okay, like now that that's over, like let's party. Like she's kind of like the cool party girl and everything that Margot isn't and kind of wants to be. So she ends up moving in with this, with Lucy and like her little clique. And it's so crazy where they live. And it's really interesting in the author's note, she said like, like this is real. This part is based on real life because the author lived in a house like this. So they lived in this house next to a frat house, but not when you picture like a Greek row frat house. It was just like a house that frat guys lived in. And their frat, the frat though also owned this house. So they're landlords for these frat guys. So there, there is like an imbalance of power at play, but the girls don't see it like that. Like they're like, oh, we get invited to all the parties and we got like free drinks or whatever. And like the, one of the girls is dating like the president of the frat and they just see it as like a cool thing but as like time goes on like obviously like there are like sinister vibes to that and like you can see why any adult would be like this is really not okay for you young girls to be living here um so the book that was interspersed with chapters to the present day where Margot and the other girls are being interviewed by the police because Lucy is missing and it is insinuated that she is like implicated in someone's murder. So you know that that happened right away. And then the book moves from like her Margot's beginning of school leading up to that present day. And then there's also a ton of flashbacks to with her and her best friend who died because all of that ends up like blending together, like put it all in a mixer bowl. And it was just crazy. There were twists that I didn't see coming. The way that everything wove together was so interesting. I found it to be so fascinating. It was fast paced. I couldn't put this down. I was reading it during a busy week and I just kept like not, I wanted to just pick it up. I couldn't wait every night to get to be able to sit down and read this again. I really loved it. I obviously can't say much more because it is a thriller. That's going to be the theme of this episode, but I gave it four stars. It was like a bit different from anything that I've read really. And a different type of campus thriller, but I would class it as a campus thriller though, because the, the, what even is a campus thriller at this point, but it takes place in college. The college part of it is very important to the story. It was really interesting. Um, like I said, I give it four stars. That was Only If You're Lucky by Stacey Willingham. Our next book is also by an author that I love, and it is The Heiress by Rachel Hawkins. Now, if you're not familiar with Rachel, she writes these really great thrillers. I would say this is up there with my favorites from hers. I think the, oh, what is the, it's not The Staircase. The one that's like the Jane and Eyre retelling that when I covered on Books in the City, didn't know anything about Jane Eyre, so I didn't know it was a Jane Eyre retelling. I think that one is my favorite, and I love the villa. I didn't like the Reckless Girls, but I loved this one. But she also writes romance books under the name Erin Sterling, and she is the author of The X-Hacks, which is my like favorite Halloween rom-com series. So she is just like out here giving us both. And what I love about her thrillers is that they're, the plot is always so unique, right? And they're also very like short and succinct. Like this comes in at under 300 pages. And I talk about this all the time on K Red What. Thrillers do not ever need to be 400 pages. Like if I were like ever running for president, that would be my campaign slogan. Like honestly, I think most books don't need to be 400 pages. I was thinking about this a lot last night because I like had decided what books I wanted to talk about. Historical fiction can be 400 pages because you're probably covering many years and like real stories and like 
real interesting drama even romance when they get like close to 400 sometimes it doesn't matter how much i love the couple sometimes i'm like let's like wrap this up here you know and thrillers specifically when they are dragged out that long it really really bothers me like it starts to just get like repetitive and boring for no reason like the sweet spot for a thriller is like three to 350 this one coming in at under 300 like so much happens in this book but like she i i'm not a writer so I obviously, so I don't know if it's easier for authors to make them longer, but I guess it's like, I think there's something to be said about getting it in like the perfect timing and not dragging the story out and like getting that timing and that pacing right. And that is what Rachel Hawkins is very good at. There is so much going on in this book that I really like I, when I was writing my little bulletin points, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to tell you guys about this book in a way that makes sense and I also can't spoil anything so honestly when I'm when I'm covering thrillers it is like a challenge and it also kind of sucks though because I want to like you get so excited about like the twists and stuff and I obviously don't want to spoil it for you so I can't even tell you all the good bits but this book is told through the perspective of three characters so I will tell you about each of those characters and I think that will be that'll help you get like a gist of what's going on in this book so the first one is Jules and we meet her. She's living in Colorado with her husband, Camden. They like met in a bar, hit it off. They kind of like, they don't have a lot of money. And she, instant, she like, you know, something's going on with her and her chapters are really interesting because she speaks directly to the reader, which I really, really like. Like she, she says you, and she's talking about like you, the reader, you know, like it was like a really interesting device to tell this story especially since there kind of is a lot going on here so you know from the very beginning that she's kind of up to something but you have no idea how she plays into the drama because the drama isn't about her the drama has to do with her husband Camden and his family so the second perspective we have is Camden and he was adopted as like a two-year-old by Ruby McTavish Callahan Woodward Kenmore who is a super wealthy, famous heiress. And I will tell you, she is the heiress of the title of the book. And I'll tell you a bit about more and uh, more about her in a second. But Camden grew up since he was adopted. He was kind of like, Ruby took him in, but the rest of the extended family always saw him as an outsider and they really resented him. And they were very like, you're not a real McTavish. And like this McTavish family and this town of Ashby, North Carolina is like, or I don't know if the town's called Ashby, but the house estate is called Ashby um where they all live but it it's like a a thing to them <laughs> they are like that that they're McTavish's and they see Camden as like not a real one because he was adopted and it is all made worse because when Ruby dies she leaves all of her money and she leaves I just heard a noise we had a mask here in my apartment this week and it turned out to be fine but you know you can never be too safe when you're in a New York City apartment I think we're good then so Ruby left the the house ashby the giant like estate and the mountains of north carolina and all of her money to camden and it's like kind of a big deal to the surviving um mctavish members that she left it to him because they like i said don't see him as a real part of the family so he grew up kind of like not getting along with them at all like just wanted nothing to do with them and they all live in this house together so when he turned 18 he left north carolina and completely turned his back on them he does not touch any of his money from ruby like he is extremely extremely wealthy but you would absolutely never know it he works as a teacher he wants nothing to do with the money or with the family but through his perspectives we find out that his uncle has died and his cousin is kind of like hey like the house like needs some repairs like it needs worked on and you don't want anything to do with the money but like 
this is your house. Like you need to figure it out, whatever. And he kind of insinuates that Ruby, her death was nefarious, really. That like it wasn't like a natural death, like the coroner ruled, right? So that spooks Camden, wink, wink, why? And him and Jules go back to Ashby. And Jules is like excited about that because she always wanted to see it. And she knows like Camden doesn't talk about his family, but obviously she will with them because like I would do that too. And that leads us to Ruby, who is our third perspective. So Ruby is famous for having had four husbands who all mysteriously died. And her chapters are told through letters that she is writing to someone and you don't know who she's writing them to. And she tells the story of all of her marriages and basically her life. And her life is so fascinating. So beyond the four husbands that mysteriously died, which also let her like gave her the nickname Ruby Kilmore instead of Ruby Kenmore. When she was a child, she was kidnapped. Like there's so much happening here. So it's not funny that she was kidnapped, but it's funny because it's like, of course she was kidnapped, you know? So this was the point in time right after, um, Charles Lindbergh's baby was quote unquote kidnapped. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go Google that because that's another whole wild story that we just don't have enough time here for today. Although, you know, I do love to tell a wild historical story on this podcast. I'm, I'm going to rein myself in right now because um, the Ruby story is wild and it might be historical fiction, but it is wild enough. So she like as a child was kidnapped and then was found months later and came back to live with her family. But she always, and she was, she was like young, like two or three. And she always kind of harbored this question of like, am I actually Ruby McTavish or am I Dora Darnell? Who was like what the family who took her, like the name that they gave her. So that is like a huge plot point in Ruby's life and has a lot to do with it. So we're learning about that and like all of her thoughts surrounding the kidnapping of her childhood through her letters, but also each of her marriages, which are just so, so fascinating. Um, and at the same time, like I said, Jules and Camden are now with the surviving members of the family who don't like Camden. So there's a lot of drama going on in the house. The present day timelines reminded me a bit of Knives Out because it was the sense of like the family kind of all fighting over an inheritance that the outsider was gifted. Um, and so much happens with that. I can't say more, but it was a really fun ride. It's such a quick read. I loved each perspective. So it was, which is a great thing in a book when that happens because you're never like, oh, like I got to get through this one. Like I was excited each time to be back in Camden. I was excited. Ruby's were probably my favorite. I loved when we got a chapter of Ruby's letters. It was so good. I, there's some twists, some turns, things I didn't see coming. I gave it four stars. That is The Heiress by Rachel Hawkins. The final book is First Lie Wins by Ashley Elston. And if you have been seeing any of the books that I spoke about today all over the internet, this is probably the one this book has been everywhere. I was seeing so many people that I trust their reviews love it before I picked this up. So I was very excited to finally get to it. And it did not disappoint. And honestly, this is the book I can probably say the least about because I don't want to give a single thing away. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to try my best here. So our main girl is Evie and we meet her as she is hosting a dinner party at her boyfriend Ryan's house for his like close group of friends. And it's the first time that she's meeting them. And as they ask her questions, she is kind of like, like her internal monologue of the thing is like, like they're trying to like catch me up. Like there's no way like my identity is going to slip. So right away, you're like, what is going on here? And we basically end up learning that Evie is not really Evie and like 
this real woman, like the Evie is an identity that she took on for her job because for her job, she's basically like a spy for hire. And that's definitely not the right term, but it's like the only one that I can think of. She is hired by this guy, Mr. Smith. She works for him basically, like basically sold her life to him. And he drops her into different scenarios where she has to take on a different identity and she's always given a different mark and she has to either like, um, in her first job, she has to like get a flash drive or something from like the house is safe and like things like that. So she, her mark for this job is the boyfriend, Ryan, and she doesn't know yet why Ryan is her mark. She basically like infiltrates, she takes on this new persona, infiltrates like the target's life, but like she doesn't always, she doesn't get all the info right away. It's fed to her bit by bit. So she's doing what she can, learning more about Ryan, his routines. She like is his fake girlfriend, you know? So she's fully in his life. So the book though is also interspersed with chapters of, um, I'm just going to call her Evie, of her past. So we learn about her as a teenager, kind of her story of how she got into this line of work. And then a few of her different missions, which I found so interesting. And there is like a purpose for learning all of it besides just learning about her real story, but everything comes together in like a really interesting way. So as she's like, as Evie, her and Ryan are at this event and she, one of Ryan's old friends who is kind of like, he has issues with addiction and he just kind of is like in and out of everyone's lives. He shows up at this event with this woman and this woman says her name and Evie freaks out. And I'm I'm not going to say anything, which I just really want to say it so bad, but I won't. But because of the name that the woman gives Evie, now suddenly she is questioning everything, wondering why she's on this job. She's going back through her memory, which is what all those flashbacks are, looking for some hints of something because now she's worried that she's in danger. And we know that her last job, it was not a success. And her boss, Mr. Smith, is like, kind of she's on probation and she has to kind of like look out she's like she's worried you know and like you don't get out you don't just get to quit this job like basically the only way out is that you're like off so she's concerned she's trying to figure everything out and then it's kind of split that's kind of like all of the first half of the book and then the second half just goes off the rails in the best way possible and there are crazy twists and it was fun and clever and really well done and unlike anything I've ever read. I was asked today if this is like scary or gory. Not at all. I would say this is like really a suspense. Like it's kind of like a spy thriller, if you will. Um, It was so, so good. Like it reminded me in a way of Stone Cold Fox, which was my number two favorite book of 2023. And like they are not the same at all. But it gave me similar vibes with like how I felt when I was reading it, like trying to figure everything out. What's the truth? What's not? It was so good. I gave it four stars. That is unfortunately all I can say, but that is First Lie Wins by Ashley Elston. And now it is time to prescribe some mood reads. I don't know why I just said it like that, but whatever. Our first one comes from M Reads on Bookstagram, and she asks for a book to get her out of a reading slump. And honestly, I think that thrillers are the best books to get out of a reading slump. So any of the books that I talked about on this episode, but I was looking at my shelves today, and I would also say We Begin at the End by Chris Whitt- Whittaker. 
Um, I covered this back in the day on Books in the City. And when I did, I said that this book ruined my life. And I mean that. It is very, very emotional, but like very thrilling. There's a lot of suspense, really great mystery, great characters that you just fall in love with, like Duchess, like never forget her. Um, I have not read a book like this. It's probably one of the best books I've ever read. I really, really love this. And now I'm wondering if this author has released the book since because it came out like two years ago. But yeah, it will probably put you into a reading slump, but first it'll take you out of one. So it's definitely still worth the read. The next book come or the next request comes from April's bookshelf on Bookstagram. And she asked her something cozy to escape this winter weather. And this was very top of mind for me because it is freezing in New York City right now. And I know it is very cold kind of in many parts of the country, but living in New York, like we have to walk to get everywhere, you know, like you can't really, you don't just get to like heat up your car and then get in the car and you're fine. Like I have basically been a prisoner in my apartment because when I did go for a walk, I was like unwell from how cold it was. So I will be staying in this weekend to escape the winter weather. And I will be doing that by reading Crescent City by Sarah J. Mass. I think that to me, fantasy is the biggest escapism. And when you like when I have a weekend coming up where I literally I'm not leaving, I'm recording this on Friday night and I'm literally not leaving my apartment until Monday when I go grocery shopping and I will be reading Crescent City that whole time. I'm rereading Crescent City one and two, gearing up for Crescent City three, um, that any type of fantasy, but specifically Sarah J. Mask, because those are my favorite fantasy. That is what I would say is perfect to escape some cold winter weather. I also just want to say here, because I've been talking about Sarah J. Mass more recently here and on my books around Red What than I have in a while. Um, they are my favorite fantasy books. And yes, if you're thinking about reading them, my answer is yes, you should read them. And my recommended order is to do Akatar first, then I would do Crescent City one and two and maybe three. I obviously haven't read the third one yet, so I can't say. And then I would do Throne of Glass because Throne of Glass is a completed series. So that is my recommended order. But just do what your heart desires, I guess. But I would read Akatar specifically before you read Crescent City 3. And the final one comes from Yana. And she asks for something like Adi LaRue. And this one really stumped me because I've never read anything specifically like Adi LaRue. But then I was looking at my shelves and the book A Witch in Time by Constance Sayers kind of gets the job done for this. It is very like, I mean, the words in time or in the series, which is like similar to Adi, I would say it's kind of like same vibes a bit. I love this book so much. It's basically about a person who, oh, now I'm going to like mess it all up. But I think she's like reincarnated like over and over in different time periods or something like that. But so good. So interesting. And I think Constance has a new book coming out this year, which I'm really excited about. And those are all the mood reads. Keep an eye on the Professional Book Girl Instagram stories once a week, or honestly, last week I did it twice. So keep an eye on those stories every day where I post a question box where you can drop a mood read. I really love doing those. I'm glad that I decided to add that as a little ending segment. So I hope you guys like them too. This has been such a long episode. I'm honestly out of breath from talking so much if you can't hear because I, like I said, have not been leaving my apartment. So my this is like my cardio, honestly. Um, 
Thank you so much for listening. I will be back next week with another episode. Make sure you read our book club pick tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin by February 1st, because that is when I will be dropping that episode with all of my many, many thoughts on it. Please make sure you're following, subscribe, whatever you on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Follow me on Instagram. I care about follow the show on Instagram at Professional Book Girl. Please leave a nice little lit reading and review. It makes me so happy. Head to the bookshop, bookshop.org slash shop slash professional book girl. Oh my God. Song twister to buy any of the books I spoke about on this episode or any previous episodes and submit your book club thoughts to be included in that episode. It's professionalbookgirlpod at gmail.com. That is it. Happy reading. I will see you next week.